Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Can we open up our Bibles this morning? Who's ready for some word today? And how good is it to have the kids in service? Uh, they were all the single people who cheered right then. All the parents were like, can't wait for kids ministry next week. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to read from chapter 12 and verse 1. Who's ready for some word this morning? Who's ready for some word? Come on. You know how much I love my Bible. Acts chapter 12. Verse 1. Let's read some verses. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but, come on church, Peter was kept in prison, but the church prayed. Come on, say that, but the church prayed. Come on, in unity. But the church prayed. One more time. But the church, they prayed earnestly to God for him. The night before, Peter was to be placed on trial. He was asleep. And all the deep sleepers said, (laughs) someone has called this. The slumber of a triumphant faith. <laughs> Some of you have that blessing every single night. If you, if you are sitting next to a deep sleeper, just give him a little nudge right now. There you go. <laughs> He's asleep. And watch this. He's fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison door. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him And a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side because he was a deep sleeper and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself, put your sneakers on. So he did, said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and he did not know and did not know what was done by the angel was real. That shows you how much of a deep sleeper he, he's just like still waking up. Who takes an hour to wake up, anyone? <laughs> but thought he was seeing a vision. <laughs> we're picking on all the deep sleepers today. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. I'm gonna read to you also James chapter four, 
verse 6, which says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace, come on, he gives grace to the humble, to the humble. I don't know if you've ever done a tour of a prison. It's not something that kind of go out of your way to do. Alison and I, in our early 20s, uh, we did a tour of Fremantle Prison. Uh, Fremantle Prison, of course, uh, is it's unused, but the idea of it now is to show people uh, part of Australia's history. Uh, you go through the prison, you get to really see how small these prison cells actually were, what these people, conditions that these people had to live in. Uh, when I was also in my 20s, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I went into an actual youth prison because one of our young people decided to not do the right thing, landed himself in jail. And so as a youth pastor, I went to visit him. It's amazing when you go to a real prison, a prison where the inmates are forced to follow strict orders. There's no compromise. There is no running late. The prison runs on a timetable. For me to get into the prison, I had to go through a number of strict uh, protocols, uh, not allowed to take your phone in, etc., etc. By the time I got to see this young person, I, for some reason, just felt guilty going through these protocols. It was strict. It was to the letter how things were to operate. The Bible tells us that Herod Agrippa had stretched out his hand to harass the church. We read that in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible tells us that this harassment was there simply because, which I'll show you just in a moment, he utilised persecution against Christians as a way of gaining popularity. The Bible uses the word harass. The amplified version uses the word torment. The Greek word that's used there simply means to oppress. It means to afflict. It means to cause harm. So Herod had made a decision that he wanted to, let's call it for what it is, he wanted to persecute Christians. Now remember, he is the government leader of this region. And as the government leader of this region, he had authority and he had power and he was using, come on, stay with me now, he was using his power to persecute believers, to persecute people who followed, to harass, to oppress, to afflict, to torment people who were followers or those who were followers of Jesus Christ. The whole family of Herod were known as scheming, cold-hearted, murderous people. In fact, this Herod that we read about in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, 
is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who made the decision that every male child two years old and under in earlier on in the Gospels at the birth of Jesus Christ was to be killed by the sword. Uh, When you think about that and you think about what kind of individual would make a decision like that where babies are murdered with the sword, it shows you how cold-hearted this man, Herod the Great, now Herod Agrippa, what kind of atmosphere Herod Agrippa would have been raised in. This man, Herod the Agrippa, is also the nephew of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one who made the decision that John the Baptist should be beheaded, bringing the head of John the Baptist uh, on a platter to him. This was an evil family. This man, Herod Agrippa, made a decision with the authority that he had that we are going to do all we can to stay in power and the way that we will stay in power is simply by A, using fear, but secondly, by utilising or making decisions that were going to keep the Jews happy. Now, the Jews despised Herod and his family because of Roman occupation, another country coming in to occupy territory. And so they despised his authority. Herod did not want to lose his authority. And so he made a decision to kill James with a sword because he knew that if he stood with the Jewish priests and elders who did not want the way of Jesus Christ, the way of Christianity, it would make him more popular with the people because he was making a decision, we want to exterminate Christianity so that the Jewish people, I'm making a decision, hey, I'm standing with you in keeping the traditions of your forefathers, in keeping the law. So we don't want the expression of Jesus Christ. So he killed what many Bible commentators would say was the lead apostle in James and murdered him with a sword because you can see that it's a popularity contest because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse three, it says, and he saw that this pleased the Jews. So he makes the decision to say, let's take it one step further. Now I'm gonna get another apostle. And he arrests the apostle Peter. And so we see the politicisation of Christianity for personal gain. We can see that there is gain at the expense of innocence and truth. We live in a world today where Christians are being persecuted, where Christians are being killed, where Christians are being brought to a place to bow their knee, to deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ at the expense, gain at the expense of innocence and truth. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter six, 
that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against darkness, um, rulers, evil rulers, demonic spirits, the Bible says, in high places, they operate in the heavenly realms. And here we see a man whose life, his family, his grandfather, his uncle, etc., etc., who are being controlled by demonic influences to eliminate, to exterminate Christianity because the devil's ploy has never changed. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So now he has the Apostle Peter in prison. A couple of things I want you to notice real quick about this before we move on. Uh, For Peter, this prison experience was different to the one that he had experienced in the past. The reason why it was different to the one he had experienced in the past is because in the past, when Peter was arrested and thrown into jail, it was after a great victory. It came after after Acts chapter 2. It came after the growth of the church. It came after healings and miracles. And he was thrown into prison then because of a great victory. However, on this occasion, he was thrown into prison straight after James, his brother in the Lord, his fellow apostle had been murdered with a sword. And so Peter is now in prison and from a human perspective, the situation for Peter seems terribly grim. We also see that on this occasion that Peter was guarded by four squads of soldiers. Come on, you've got to stay with me this morning. We're going somewhere with this today. Peter was guarded by four squads of soldiers. Uh, we could say that Peter was being treated as public enemy number one. This was maximum security because on the previous occasion, when Peter was thrown into prison, the angel came and set him free. And so in order for this not to happen again, <laughs> we're gonna put four squads of soldiers to make sure that this guy does not get out of jail. I also want you to notice the agreement, the agreement that is soldiers that were placed there to keep him so much so that the Bible says that whilst he was in prison, that he was chained between two soldiers. So not only were there soldiers at the door, but there were also soldiers that he was chained to. There was no way that Peter on this occasion is getting out of this situation. We can call this a demonic agreement to stop the furtherance of the gospel, to place this man in a jail cell so that the name of Jesus from his lips would not be ever mentioned again in a public setting and Herod was waiting for Passover to finish so that he could bring him to trial just like he did with the Apostle James. This man's about to be murdered as well for his faith. This is a stronghold of the highest order. 
The stronghold essentially is a situation, but also a mindset that accepts that what I am going through is unchangeable. People may not today be in a prison chained between two soldiers and having a squadron of soldiers also at the prison door, but we don't need to be in a jail cell to know what it's like to be held captive by something or by a situation, a mindset, a belief about yourself, a stronghold where you believe that because of that, my situation is unchangeable. Strongholds are powerful. They are so powerful that you can be walking on the street and look free, but a person on the inside can be held hostage, captive, and they are kept in a prison. I will never break through this. I can never get over that situation, that betrayal that happened to me, uh, the loss of a business, uh, the loss of a loved one, etc., etc. It keeps us in jail, it keeps us in prison, and it becomes a stronghold. What is a stronghold? A stronghold has a strong hold. It's holding us captive. It's keeping us bound. It's limiting the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But behind every stronghold, is a lie, a lie that's been used to keep a person bound. You will live with this for the rest of your life. Your loneliness will be with you for the rest of your, your depression will be with you for the rest of your, your mental health, what you're going through, it'll be with you for the rest of your life. The discouragement that you feel, which has potentially led to almost depression, will be with you for the rest of your life. A stronghold is a lie that a believer has believed that has placed us like the Apostle Peter between two soldiers chained and a squadron of soldiers at the door to let you know you will never get out. You doing okay? Can we keep going? (laughs) Strongholds and these prison cells can come to all of us. You can be a pastor and have a stronghold. You can be a leader in the church and serve as a volunteer of some sort and have a stronghold. Strongholds drain life. They corner you. And watch this. They have this amazing ability 
to damage your confidence. Damage your confidence. Chips away. Chips away. Little by little by little. And the end goal of it is it causes you to feel isolated. Does anybody even care? Watch this. Does God, does God, does, they seem to be prospering. They seem to, but does God even care? What's happening is Satan, who is, watch this, the father of lies. Jesus refers to him as a liar and says to him, he is the father of lies. In fact, Jesus tells us, Horizon Church, that the natural language of Satan is to lie. When you go out to the foyer after service and you order a coffee, your natural language, I would assume, for the vast majority of us, is English. You will not order the coffee in Afrikaans. (laughs) Neither will you order it in Italian. Neither will you order it Anyway, I, was, I won't say that country, but it's a lovely country anyway, and they do sound amazing. Anyway, my brain's gone somewhere else. <laughs> you will not order it in a language that's uncommon. Watch this, that's uncommon to you. You will order it in a language that is natural to you. The natural, watch this now, the natural language of Satan is lies. Every day, lying, lying, lying about who you are, lying about your identity, lying about your position in Christ, lying to you about your future, lying to you about your marriage, lying to you about your health, lying to you about your well-being, lying to you. His natural language is to lie. And eventually, chip away at this long enough, people start to believe it. And it becomes, we hope not, a part of who we are. We walk with it. And like the Apostle Peter, we find ourselves in a prison cell. Now, let me say this to you. You can tell what's on your life by what's trying to hold you back. Herod chose James and he chose Peter. Why? Because of what was on their life. Satan knows exactly what is on your life. He targets, he focuses and he sends He's demons, demonic powers, to lie, to lie, to lie, to get us to a place where we are bound. Why? Because he's trying to put you between two soldiers where the purposes of God and the potential in your life is frustrated. He's targeting you because he knows the office that you are about to occupy. And hell is mad today because he knows I need to stop, hinder and block you 
from outworking the purposes of God. And Satan, the liar, the father of lies, does all he can to block us, put us in prison, from outworking our true identity in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been there? Ever been at that place where you feel bound, feel helpless, you're on trial, you don't know how you're gonna get out of a situation like this. One of the beautiful things about the family of God is the Bible uses this word fellowship. Everyone say fellowship. Now in the 80s, early 90s of Christianity, it's not a word that we use that often anymore. But when you catch up at your life group, uh, it used to be called home fellowship. Who remembers those days, right? Uh, when, you, when you connected with other believers, you say, we had some fellowship. Come on, any old timers in the house this morning? This word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. This word koinonia is not just two people having a nice coffee together at Whitehorse, although that's a good start. Koinonia is spirit touching spirit, life touching life, heart touching heart. It's the sharing of Scriptures and a focus on Jesus Christ that lifts the person's spirit. That is what fellowship actually is. One of the things I've discovered in our walks with God is that there comes a season, I pray not for you, but there comes a season with certain circumstances with that life-touching life, that heart-touching heart, that sharing of Scripture to boost, to lift, to encourage, to know the truth so that the truth can set you free. There comes a season in our lives where we'll all need it. The Bible says a brother is born for the day of adversity. And let me say this, you'll truly know who your friends are. Do you want me to tell you how? How, how will you know who your friends are? the day that you become a burden. And I pray to God, I pray to God that we have some fellowship. We have some friends, Aaron and her, who can stand with you and lift up your arms when you find yourself in prison. So Peter's in prison, trial, Execution. What was God's method for his breakthrough? What a question. What a question. What was God's method for his breakthrough? We need to, as the church, come on, find the most effective means of assistance for a man, an innocent man, who's about to be killed. He's changed. The Bible shows us what the church did for Peter's deliverance. So Peter, Acts chapter 12, verse five, was kept in prison. Here we go. 
But the church prayed. Come on. He was in a stronghold. He was bound. But the church prayed. Come on. The church prayed earnestly to God for him. The hinge word is the word but. Here's the circumstance. But when there's a praying church, (laughs) when there's a church who knows how to lay a hold of the supernatural, who can declare, who can declare breakthrough earnestly. That is the word earnestly that's used there is a Greek word which, which simply means stretched out. In other words, they prayed the first hour, they prayed the second hour. Come on, come on, any prayer warriors in the house this morning? They prayed the third hour, they prayed the fourth hour, and they said, we haven't had the breakthrough yet, let's pray for another. They prayed the fifth hour. Watch this. There's no record of Peter having faith whilst he was chained. But what there is a record of is a body of believers who said, we're not gonna let you get killed on this day. We're not gonna let you drown. We are going to pray. Amen. The message paraphrase puts it this way. Acts chapter 12, verse five. All the time, that Peter was under heavy guard, stronghold. In the jailhouse, the church prayed for him most strenuously. Watch this. Peter was bound, but prayer was loosed. Peter was kept, but prayer was sent. The angel fetched Peter out of prison but it was prayer that fetched the angel. There are some battles that you go through, some strongholds, some scenarios in your family where your faith is good, Peter, and you're a very good apostle, but you need the church. You need the church to stand with you and pray. And a stretched out prayer. And they pray. And they pray, and they pray, and they believe God for a breakthrough. Come on, am I preaching to anyone this morning? G.C. Morgan, old-time Bible teacher, he says, that force of earnest, halting prayer was mightier than Herod and mightier than hell. Amen. Come on, we live in a time Christianity is getting persecuted, comes in subtle forms, comes in different ways. We are living in that era where Herod will have his way. It's a spirit. But God is looking for a church who knows. I'm not embarrassed to say to you today, church, I need your prayers. And watch this. You need my prayers. And you need the prayers of the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. And come on, church, they need your prayers. Amen.
What's beautiful about this passage that we read this morning is this was a church who did not make prayer their last resort, excuse me, but their first response. I love your coffee catch-ups and I think it's great. But how about the church that says, when we meet, can we pray? When we meet, can we lay a hold of Jesus together? When we meet, can we call up the church and borrow a room so that we can pray? Amen. Peter, the writer of the book of Peter, I just wonder, this is just Brad's thoughts, this is not what the Bible says, it's my thought. I just wonder when Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Here's the thought. Are you humble enough to ask for prayer? Because this apostle, he knew what it was like to be on the verge of, watch this, death. But a church rose up and prayed. Peter writes, where's the humility in the body of Christ that could come and stand at an altar or call up their life group leader or call a prayer group together and say, I need prayer. You're bound. It's a stronghold. There's two chains and you're trying to get out. The Lord says, call the prayer team. (laughs) Amen. Could I have the keyboard player, please? You've got got to see what I'm about to tell you this morning. If you you are a note taker, write real fast. If you are a photo note taker, get ready to take a photo of what I'm about to show you. Are you ready? Charles Spurgeon. Mm, What a writer. Every time I read him, I realise, man, I wish I would have done better in English in year 11 and 12. (laughs) Spurgeon ministered in one of the largest churches in England in the 19th century. On one occasion, he was asked to account for his tremendous success in ministry. And without hesitation, Spurgeon responded, my people pray for me. Amen. Well, I thought it was great. How about you? (laughs) Husbands, are you humble enough to ask your wife to pray for you when you feel bound? Young people, are you humble enough to ask your parents to pray for you? What I love about this prayer meeting that was going on is Acts chapter 12, verse 12 just shows us, uh, gives us a little bit of a sneak preview. So Peter's in prison, prayer's been loosed. Acts chapter 12, verse 12 says, many were gathered together praying. Amen. The Apostle Paul was never ashamed, never ashamed, never ever ashamed to ask Christians to pray for him. 
Watch this. In at least seven of his letters, he mentioned his great need for prayer support. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously, graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. And pray for me to ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan, etc. Last but not least, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us. Verse 4 says, Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Luke, when he wrote the Gospel of Acts in this story, stressed an abundance of detail. He told us about changed soldiers, guards, squads, between two soldiers, first post, second post, Iron Gate. Do you know why? Because no one could escape under human power alone. But prayer can. Prayer can. What are you facing? What are you bound by? Are you humble enough to say, like the great Apostle Paul, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. If I could have the worship team, that would be fantastic. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Today, I want to pray for people. <laughs> I want to pray for people who are bound. Pray for people who feel as though they are in a stronghold. They need freedom. They need release. You need the family or you need koinonia. You need the people of God to come around you, encourage you lift you up, speak life into your spirit and pray for you. But here's the test. Are you humble? Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. How's your marriage? Do you need prayer? How's your health? Do you need prayer? How's your relationship with your children? How's your workplace? How's your mental health? How's your emotional health? Do you need prayer? Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. How's the kids going? Two, three, four in the morning, night after night. Can somebody just please pray for me? Amen. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your presence. Thank You for Your blessing. Thank You for breakthrough. 
We believe that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is here in this meeting today, walking amongst us, speaking to us, encouraging us. I thank You that the Word says that we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. We look to You today, our God, our Lord, our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for the finished work of the cross. Thank You that the devil is defeated and Jesus Christ is Lord. I take authority over this atmosphere and I declare a mighty release of faith in Jesus' Name. Can we all stand up on our feet? We're going to enter a short time of worship. As we do, and you need prayer. Come on, you need prayer. Come on, you need prayer. I've got to tell you this, you've got to hear this. This is, this is so amazing. Peter walks out. The Bible says he goes through the first post, as in soldiers, they didn't see him. Second post, didn't see him. And the Bible says, watch this, he comes to the iron gate. The thing that's gonna hold him back. You ain't going any further, buddy, the iron gate. And the Bible says, it opened of its own accord. The Greek word that's used there for the word accord is um, a word called automeo. It's where we get the English word automatic from. It's not your strength. It's not your striving. It's automatically gonna open up and you're gonna walk through as we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.